0: back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem radio show. We have a jam-packed episode for everybody tonight, so we're going to keep the chit-chat down to a minimum. We have Dave Lombardo, ex-Slayer drummer, now back with his band Film. We've got a great show lined up, Carl Kennedy from The Rods, and Craig Sattari from Sick of It All. Uh, we're going to talk to Dave in about 10 minutes. Uh, I spoke with Craig during the week. We recorded that interview, and Carl will call in live towards the end of the show. But we're going to get us some brand-new rigor mortis for everybody right now. I'll follow that up with a little Slayer, and we'll talk to Dave. Here you go, this is Reign of Ruin, off the brand new Rigor Mortis record, and more than likely the last one with Mike passing away about a year or so ago. This is from the Slaves to the Grave record, like I said, his Road to Ruin. Reign of Ruin, excuse me, I'm getting sick. going to go into some sleigh, but we seem to be having a lot of problems here today with the switchboard. Nothing is working right. All right, here we go. Dave, this is Mike. How are you?
3: I'm well. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm doing great. I'm talking with you. How bad can I be? <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. Man.
2: <laughs> hey, anytime,
0: anytime. Hey, well, listen, you know, everybody's just saying, you know, when are we going to get a follow-up to the last record, Harmonic? And i was like, it's only been two years, but you delivered, and you guys really went above and beyond with the latest record. I mean, it's real. it's out there.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I'm pretty. I'm proud of it. I'm very happy with the outcome. You know, and and the band worked hard. Uh, we could have released it a lot sooner, but you know there were bumps in the road. But we ended up, uh, you know, really seeing what we did. And I guess you know it all works out for the best. Sure.
0: Well, I mean, it really hasn't been that long. I mean, and the way the business is today, bands are going four or five years between records. It's not like it was, you know, in the 70s and 80s where you know you're kissing, you're putting out two records a year.
3: So yeah, I mean, you're productive. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the more technology we have, the lady, the lazier we've gotten, you know, but, uh, <laughs> I, I tend to, you know, work like seventies, you know, and and possibly the eighties where you put out an album a year and, and you tour, I mean, there is 365 days a year. How many tours are you doing? Are you doing? And, um, uh you know how much downtime do you have you know i feel like what an average tour is about a month you do about 3 of those a year you know that leaves another 9 months you yeah. know what what do you do you know what i mean so I, I think you know people just you know don't um uh, you know uh, uh work out their schedules very well sure
0: i i would think being a musician the downtime is probably the worst time for you? Because, you know, either you're excited about an album that you're working on coming out or waiting for a tour. The downtime's got to be difficult, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, well, that's that's when you should be writing. You know, that's when you should be, you know, getting together with your bandmates and and working out songs in a rehearsal studio. Um, you know, that's... I try to be as productive, you know, daily as possible. You know, work at least, you know, two, three hours a day on, on some music or or just being creative, you know, being in the music mode, um, and, and thinking about, you know, fusing of different, you know, genres and, you know, creating different drum beats and, you know, even working on, you know, uh, uh on the piano, some, some melodies, you know, so whatever it is, you know, you just try to occupy as much time as you can with, with what you love the most. And for me, it's music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you go back to when you first got started, the early 80s. I mean, did you think that this would turn into like a, a career for you where this was your job, where you would get paid for it? Because when you're a 20-year-old kid and you're writing about Satan and stuff like that, you can't be saying to yourself, this is going to be top 40, you know, Casey Kasem is going to play this, we're going to make a fortune. When does it go from just like, you know, having fun and, and being as outrageous as you can into this is a business and now we have to kind of like, you know, shift gears and, and make it where we can do what we want, but yet still make it financially?
3: Well, I've always wanted to be what I am today. Um, you know, that's that's what I wanted to be when I was, you know, 15, you know, between 13 and 15. It's like I, I want to be a rock star. I want to play venues. I want to play my drums all over the world. And
2: it
3: <laughs> happened, which I'm very, very fortunate and, um, you know. But when it's it started to become a business, I believe is when you know I signed onto a major label, you know, and uh, you know that's that's when it all turned into a business. Although it was a business from the uh, you know onset of the band, but you know the the realization of things getting serious, you know, happened when uh, you know you signed to a major label.
0: Yeah. I guess that's when you realize, but you can you know, if a kid, right now some kid is bashing away in the drums in his garage and he wants to make a career out of this. Do you think it's still possible today to to be a musician and to make a career out of it? Of course. Yeah, of course.
3: Absolutely. It's always possible. I I tell kids, you know, don't let anyone discourage you, you know, follow your dreams, you know. Um, You know, of course, you know, you have to be responsible and there's things you have to do to survive and you can't rely on something, you know, that quite isn't you know paying the bills I mean you're gonna to have to work a job sometimes two jobs, but I think that is that's what's uh that's what's called paying your dues yeah. you know um I've done it uh I remember before I graduated high school, I was in a band, you know I had a job uh I was in school, and I was juggling all of them, and uh you know it paid off because it, it there came a time where I couldn't hold on to a job because I was leading on tour. So it it still is possible, you know. I I don't think you know uh, you know musicians out there should get discouraged because whether it happens at an early age like it happened, you know, with me. I mean, I recorded my first album at 18 years old. You know, it it doesn't matter. There's a there's a, a Cuban artist um, that at 65 he he saw the you know the fruits of his work, you know, and, um, you know, that's when he became famous and when he started touring. Now it's a long road, you know, to wait until you're 65, but that just goes to show that, you know, when you least expect it, that's when, when it happens and you have to always be, you know, um, you got to have a love for your, for your, for your, you know, uh, career and and your music and, and never stop because you never know when it'll happen. That, that's true
0: I, I mean is it, this is the kind of business where you kind of have to go all in you can't just be half-assed or you know I'll do it now but I'll get back to it you kind of got to throw all your eggs into the basket and just go for it
3: yeah you do you really do it's it's one of those you know if something is offered you today it should have been done yesterday you know everything for me it's like well what's who's what's what are we waiting for well uh, I don't know I was just thinking about calling the guy You should have fucking called him yesterday, you know. So you always, you have to stay on top of, you know, opportunities that arise, you know, um, any gigs or anything, you know, if anybody reaches out to you, um, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's a gig or a show or somebody, you know, whatever it is, you know, follow up. You know, if you don't follow up, you'll never know what, what comes out of it. Absolutely. You know, Dave, you've
0: experimented with so many different sounds and styles over your career, especially since the 90s with Phantomos and then Grip Inc and now with film. Do you think this would have gone over as big in the mid-80s when metalhead just, like, had, like, one vision? Do you think, like, the kind of downfall of, you know, metal in the 90s kind of opened up, you know, the world to a lot of artists, to experiment with different things and for fans to kind of accept it or at least try it out and listen to it and give it a shot?
4: I think
3: that was a realization, you know, for a lot of, you know, uh, music fans that there were other styles and genres of music that could come in and, you know, suppress the genre that, that you enjoy the most. And then you see that become popular, you know, <clears throat> you're not the only, you know, fish in the sea, you know, uh, the world has a lot of other styles of music. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I feel that, um, uh, you know, music. There's there's a lot of surprises up ahead. You know, and you never know what they what what they are. You know, music. Uh, you know, heavy music could go underground again. You know, um, who knows? Nobody knows. True. You, you, like you know, I,
0: I right now it's about film, but I heard I heard Grip Inc is getting going again. I mean, you know, uh, you got a new singer
3: and there's even a new well, Phantom also no, no. in the works. Actually, no. Grip Incorporated at this moment is, you know, is still, you know, um, you know, we've we've sp- talked about it. I, I've talked about it with, with uh, Valdemar, the guitar player, uh, you know, but our singer, you know, he passed away several years ago. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, when certain be- members of the band, especially a singer, have such uh, an impact to the sound, Um, You know, it's difficult to, you know, um, get that band together, you know, bringing someone else in, you know, uh, it's just, it's just kind of weird. So I don't know, that's still in the, you know, we're talking about it, but I don't don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. do you, do you prefer bouncing
0: around from project to project? Is it is it more fulfilling as an artist to keep moving on and keep experimenting, and keep trying different things, or do you kind of like that stability or security of you know being in just one band? Sometimes
3: that can also be a downfall too. Yeah, I mean sometimes it is a downfall because it occupies the majority of your time. Uh, like for example, in you know the years I was with Slayer, um, I only re- in ten, ten, eleven years I was with the band well, probably more, uh, 2001, 2013, so I'm about 12. So in the 12 years, I only released three albums, Christ Illusion, World Painted Blood, and a film album, Harmonic. Yeah. Um, if it was, you know, if I had my way, I would have probably, you know, released, you know, uh, probably five albums within that 10-year period. You know, that's minimum. Um you know, it's just uh, the creative process that some bands have. You know, or, or you know, that work ethic is different. So, you know, you, you just uh, you do what you do. You know, you can you can only do what you do. Um, oh, wait, let me rephrase that. You can only do what you can. You know, so <clears throat> um, that's just the way it is.
0: Yeah. Well, when it comes to film, I mean, you guys all write together, I imagine. How's the writing process in that band compared to, say, some of your other groups? Is it more fulfilling where you have more involvement
3: in it now? Yes, definitely more fulfilling, uh, especially being the producer of the band. Um, I see things, you know, from a, you know, I'm, I'm sitting somewhere different. I'm, I'm behind the drum throne, obviously, and, you know, and then behind the board, but. Um, you know, this band is just so much more uh, hands-on when it comes to, you know, creating the music. You know, everyone is. And uh, it's just a really different creative process. And, you know, again, we we improvise all the parts. You know, we the creation of the songs, are they all develop through improvisations. And then, you know, we pick out the pieces and, we start creating from there and it's it's fairly easy for us. Uh we already have another album out uh not out but it's 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 almost ready to deliver. Um we have some vocals to lay down we should be done. So we'll have two albums uh you know out hopefully I hope to release this album um April of
0: next year latest to April. That'd be great. Uh, you know, what I like, what I love about, I mean, like I, I've, been, I've been going through this album nonstop. It's just, it's so different to anything else out there right now that it really stands out, you know, head and shoulders above a lot of the music in the same type of genre. And I know you've done a few shows here and there, but is it difficult trying to string a whole tour together? Is there something time-wise that the band maybe just doesn't have to go out, you know, for a month across the USA or across Europe? Uh,
3: yeah. I mean, it's, Right now, at this moment, uh, we just have to find the right agent, you know, first, you know, the right American agent to, to book us in, in the States. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully, you know, picking up an opening spot or something, uh, you know, for for a bigger band. Um, so it, it just takes time, you know, you, you, you have to pay your dues. You still do, even at this stage of the game in my career, uh, you know, there's a certain um certain, you know, level of work that you have to reach before, you know, something happens.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you that because of the name because of your name alone, you would think it would open up a lot more doors and it probably does give you a little help in hand, but like you says, it's still kind of like starting from scratch again.
3: Yeah, it is. But it's a challenge. I don't mind. You know, I could have jumped on, you know, uh an established band but there is nothing more gratifying than building something from the bottom with your own hands, you know? Yeah. Instead of jumping into a project that's already, you know, uh you know, five, six other people have their hands in the pot and, you know, you're just not it's just not appealing to me. Uh and besides, I, I like being creative. I like using my own uh my own influences, not having to adapt to what somebody else is envisioning. Um, I'd rather do it the way I'm doing it now.
2: Uh, sure. It's just
3: uh, a little more, I, I don't know, a, appealing for me. But that doesn't that doesn't say that I wouldn't, you know, work with somebody else because that door is always open. I like working with other musicians, you know. Except, the, you know, I just didn't want to jump into, you know, one, a main band uh, that was you know, already established. I wanted to create something new. Sure. Yeah, you know, Dave,
0: you're saying about being the producer on the new record also, and nobody knows your music better than you and how you want it to sound. But are there any drawbacks to actually producing your own record where maybe you'll feel the need to tinker with it too much because you know how you want something to sound? Or does that like that outside <laughs> voice, you know, where you get from somebody saying, listen, maybe we should change this around a little bit. It'll add something to it. Is that kind of missing from the process or you just know what you wanted, you know, and that's like, like you have like direct vision with that.
3: Well, I mean, a perfect example is, um, <clears throat> let's say, the, the guitar player and the bass player, <clears throat> you know, Jerry and Poncho, they created this piece, this solo piece in um, in one of the songs, one of the new songs, not off of Fire from the Evening Sun, but off of a song in the future that we're going to release. And, you know, the bass player did this this amazing kind of melodic solo, over this, this drum section. And then the guitar player did this really beautiful melodic soda, solo over the bass and over the drums. What I had to do, I came in I went in there and I was like, okay, wait, there's too much here. Uh, so I split up, you know, the bass solo and then the guitar solo. So what you're gonna hear is like the the bass and the guitar kind of alternating within this lead section. So I think that's where a producer would come in and uh, you know, uh make sure that everything sounds, you know, consistent and not um you know, it's not like a barrage of, of, of sounds and noise that that really doesn't make sense. You have to make music out of it and uh so that's that's what I had to do. So really, you know, for it to be easy or difficult, you know, it's neither or. Um, it's just something that you have to do to make the song sound the best as possible. And that's kind of where what I try to do is try to bring out the best in the musicians and make sure that the songs are the best as they can be.
0: That's all you can do. I mean, Dave, you've been in this for a long time. You've seen the changes, like you know, in the industry. You've seen the roller coaster ride where something is big one day, it's down the next. It's you know, it's all over the place. I look at like the bands that have, like you know, you have ac you know, Judas Priest. These bands are getting up there in age. We, we we all are. But you know, there's gonna be time when they're done and they're not gonna be playing anymore. And those big arena acts are going to be gone. And where do the next bands come from that fill the arenas? I mean, it's probably not going to be Slayer or Megadeth anymore because we're getting up there. Do you think there's like any hope for like the bands today that are like mid-level and have that chance to actually go to the arena stage? It just seems like there's no farm system anymore in the music business. There's no A&R anymore. There's no labels like the Nurture Bands and Move Them Along.
3: You know, I'm sure there will be. Um, it's just It's just a matter of time. And they are out there. It's probably not in the genre that we're used to. Um, you know, there's a lot of great bands out there, but it's not as heavy as it as it was. <clears throat> um, you know, but I'm sure there'll be a band out there that'll, um, you know, um just stick out and, and play these big venues that that'll appease you know the heavy um, the heavy you know music fans. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Dave. I, I watch on YouTube every now and then some of your drum clinics that the fans and you go out there and you interact with them and everything, and they go nuts for you. I mean, it's like a big thing. And they love it. It's, it must be pretty cool, like getting up close, to, like a lot of people, and you know, just getting to talk to them and answer questions and, and play a little bit. I see it seems like a real fun thing to do. Is that something you're looking to do more of?
3: Yeah, I do them all the time. Um, I have some other European workshops that I'm doing. I just did a ten ten day run in South America in Brazil actually, and man, it's, the kids appreciate it so much. They love hanging. They love meeting you, you know, uh, you know, and I share, you know, stories, they ask me questions and it's just, uh, it's almost, it's an evening with Dave. That's what it is. You know, it's not like a drum clinic because I'm not a teacher. You know, I didn't go to, to music school and, and learn, you know, um, you know, the craft, I learned, you know, I taught myself, you know, via the street, you know, I played, you know, I kept playing with musicians and listening to records and buying records and playing along to those. That's how I taught myself. So when I go up there and do those drum workshops, you know, it's just, it's fun. Um, you know, it's not my favorite thing to do, you know, but it's, it's good to do. I I feel it's a good way to kind of, uh, you know, give back, you know, to the kids that have supported you for so long.
0: Yeah. Like you were saying like you were self-taught and, you know, any kid can go to music school and learn the basics of playing an instrument, but do you think it has to be in you? It has, you know, whatever instrument it is, you kind of have to have it somewhere in you before it comes
3: out? Um, some say it does. In my, in my, uh, unique situation, uh, I believe it was. Um, I was, brought up in a culture where drums were a big part of, of life. I, you know, our music, you know, um, uh, is, is very, is drum driven. Uh, my brothers love my, one of my older brothers, he loved drums and, you know, he used to sit me in front of the stereo when I was, you know, probably three to five years old. And, and, uh, you know, listen to, to rock music and had me play along, you know, while he hitting with pencils and, and, and who knows what else. And, um, you know, it, it starts very young. I think it's at least in my situation, it started very, very young. And I was exposed to bands, musicians at a young age. Um, and, and then once I, you know, I think 12, 13 years old, I knew what I wanted to be. I knew what I wanted in life.
0: Yeah. Did you ever give up in those early days, like for a long period of time where you felt it just wasn't coming to you and you kind of put it down and stepped away for a while? Or were you just that persistent where you kept going until you got it?
3: Well, I mean, shortly, um, there was there was a period, you know, let's say, 86, you know, when I left, you know, my former band. And, you know, I did get discouraged. Because out of all the hard work, I wasn't seeing, you know, um, you know the the results of, of working hard, you know. Uh, and, you know, at that point, I think I got myself a job and, and I said, fuck this. I'm not playing anymore. I'm just going to work. Uh, so, and I'm glad I didn't continue that route. You know, I quickly changed and, you know, realized that, hey, no, no, this is my life, you know. So... That's um that that was the only time. Ever since that that's never happened to me again.
0: Oh, I'm glad for that. And Dave, I'm not gonna keep you much longer. I appreciate you talking with me today. The new Record Fire from Even the Sun is out. I think it's a kill album. And I hope you guys can get hook up with an agent and you know, come out here and do little shows on the US. I would love to see you
3: over here on the East Coast somewhere. I would love to as well, man. I can't wait. Where are you at? Where, we're in new York. Oh, new, new York. Oh, New York City. city. Yeah, so we're oh, pretty wow. big.
0: We got a good shot of seeing you before somebody in Idaho does. But, you know, and I hope you yeah. can make it happen. We're playing you all the time, and We're going to play you this weekend when the interview
3: Well, thank you very much.
0: You got it, Dave. The best of luck with the new album. I can't wait to see you guys out there on the road.
3: Awesome. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.
2: Don't know who I love. Don't know who I want to love. Babies in my hand Babies in a holy land Coming from the sky
0: I apologize. I'm having a lot of trouble today getting things going here. Uh, Dave was a pretty cool guy to talk to, and uh, hoping they do get out on tour and get around to the New York City area or anywhere else in this country, it'll be pretty cool. All right, like I said, I'm having trouble connecting things, and I don't know what's going on here today, but it's just one of those Sundays. So we're going to get that interview with Craig Satari from Sick of It All in a few minutes, and then we'll try to reach out to Call Candy from the Rods in the second half of the show. But John called in a request kyan wanted to hear something so we're gonna get on those two songs for you i'm gonna get some lozenges because i'm getting a real sore throat right now so john wanted dark angel darkness descends and Kyron said give me anything by manila road so we'll do those back to back and then we'll get the interview with Craig satari going so here you go darkness descends I should say, and it looks like we got things going again. All right, so we're going to get the interview on with Craig Sartari right now, and we'll play some sickle roll after that, maybe some New York City mayhem, and then we'll talk to Carl Kennedy of the Rods live at about 7.20. So here you go. And this is what Craig had to say last week. Hey, this is Mike. How are you?
1: How you doing? What's going on, man?
0: Good with that. I got a bad connection here. Hang on.
1: Hey, how's that? Is that better? Did yeah, it's a lot better. Craig.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're good now, buddy. We're good. <laughs>
1: All right, sounds good. It's gonna be it's gonna be on the radio,
0: right? Uh, we're recording this right now. Be on, the show airs on Sunday.
1: All right, sounds good. Sounds the way out of uh,
0: these days. Staten Island, back in the day, Brooklyn.
1: Nice. I was gonna say, it just sound like a New Yorker.
0: Hey, you know that you can't get rid of that no matter what you do.
1: Brooklyn is Staten Island, just like you know. It's like when you get away for a minute, you go to Staten Island, you know.
0: That's it. It's just fifteen dollars more to get here. That's all it is.
1: That's it. That's it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, listen, listen, I go back, I mean, I, I know you joined straight ahead a few years after they got started, but I go back with you guys in the scene from the beginning. I was actually in a band called Stillborn in the 80s. you played with you guys a lot.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember Stillborn, yeah, what, what instrument did you play? What happened? You were in Stillborn?
0: Yeah, it was a bass player.
1: Oh, all right, yeah, so I know you.
0: That yeah, was a long time ago, man, I you know, when things kind of fell apart in the late 80s, I kind of got out, but, man, you guys kept it going, it's amazing.
1: Dude, you guys had a great drummer. That kid you had playing drums, that 10-kid, he was good.
0: He's amazing. He's still playing.
1: That, that right. guy was great, man. Terry, Terry was cramming the ass, but he was all right. Terry Terry a good guy.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, play. I'm
0: ready when I... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, here we are, all these years later, brand new record coming out. I mean, how have you guys done? It? How have you guys kept this thing going for so long with this lineup?
1: You know what it is. It's uh, we just, you know, we we just like playing. We always did. You know, you you are uh, you were part of the New York scene back in the '80s. You know, it's just a a fun thing, and we never expected much to come out of it, except maybe we wanted to, like you know, headline a CB's matinee. Next thing you know, Boston called you. You get a call to play Connecticut. Then you go out to Florida, you go out to California, and all of a sudden, people want to see you play all over the place. And uh, it just sort of snowballs. We never really planned it. It just sort of happened. And to tell you the truth, there was nothing I ever really wanted to do more than play music. So it uh, it turned out to, to work out, you know?
0: I'm glad it did because, you know, when, when most of us got into this when it started out, there was no chance that this was going to be a career. You are going to be able to make a living doing it. It was just a bunch of guys looking for something new, for something different. We weren't happy with what else was going on. So the fact that you were able to turn it into that is, is astonishing, especially when you know, a lot of the scene kind of collapsed in the 90s. And how did you guys carry on? I mean, was it, did you have to go overseas? Did you have to go to different places?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it's not like, you know, we, we did all, we did our part, but it just sort of happened around us, you know, it was like time and place it had a lot to do with it, and effort, we put in a lot of effort, but, uh, you know, it, the scene kind of collapsed, and then that happened, we kept going, and we figured it was just going to, you know, over a matter of time, just come back, which it did, and then places like Europe loomed, and it's funny, like, every place you go, you get these hot spots, and then they die down, and another spot pops up, it's like, you know, it's like weed. You pull them out of one spot of the garden and they come up someplace else. So it's one of those things that seems to just keep keep going and going that and, uh, works itself out. You know, I, me, I feel like I'm blessed. You know what I mean? It's like a great thing. You remember the old days. You know, you, you played Sheebies and you were part of the whole thing. You know, you still are, obviously, because we're, we're sitting here doing this now. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a great thing. It's a great thing, man. I can't complain one bit. It's just, you know, I didn't really try to make it happen as much as I tried to make it happen. You know what I mean by that?
0: I know exactly what you mean, I'm, but I'm glad that you were able to keep doing it. And Like, you know, you talk about the beginning, like getting, like, most kids, you know, before punk and before hardcore, you know, there was rock and there was metal, and most of us kind of grew up on that because it was the first thing we had. And like me, I just most interested because I, I wanted something more, something different to be part of a new scene. It wasn't enough anymore. Is that what brought you into the hardcore scene?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so, so I don't say the last sentence again.
0: I was saying, you know, like I found my way into the hardcore scene because I was at the rock and metal from the '70s, and I just I
1: got you, I got you. it. Same, with, the same went down with me. It's like, you know, I like some some records my brother brought home when I was a kid. You know, I like Aerosmith, Black Sabbath, Van Halen. A couple of years later, then next thing you know, uh, you know, I start getting turned on to some heavy metal, like new wave of British British heavy metal. And then right around that time, I find some some punk rock. And, uh, you know, right as soon as I found that, it just turned into, hey, you know, th- these New York bands are starting to put out seven inches. I started getting into that, and then next thing you know, as soon as I was old enough to, like, leave the house and get on the subway, I was going to see these, you know? Yeah. of those things, it, 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 it's like it finds you, you know what I mean? You're, you're You're ripe for it. You're looking for something. And this thing just kind of gets put in your way, and you're like, this is what I was looking for. You know, you almost don't know where it's first. You just keep going and going and going.
0: That's true. And, you know, the scene had such a bad rap back in the day, which was uncalled for and unnecessary. <laughs> there was no more shit going on there than any other scene and any other music, you know, in this world. But we had such a hard time from the outside forces that were, like, you know, coming down on us.
1: Yeah, because you know why? You're down on the Bowery, you're a CB's. It's the Lower East Side in the 80s. People are climbing all be there's guys with boots and shaped heads, guys with hooks. It's like an easy thing to throw it out and to throw a dog at, you know what I mean?
0: Yep.
1: But you know so what I
0: mean?
1: Yeah, I, the first show I ever went to, everyone looked like a maniac, like axe murderer, and they turned out to be the nicest, most nicest, least judgmental people that I ever met really. You know, it's like the guy in the suit and tie is gonna judge you a lot more than the guy <laughs> that people say looks like a freak back then, you know what I mean? That's the guy that's gonna be cool.
0: Absolutely, I said that all the time, I said people that weren't there don't know, they don't realize the camaraderie that we had, yeah there's always a fair, you know, a few bad apples, it happens everywhere, you gotta expect that, but overall, everybody was so accepting of everybody else, but, you know, that kind of changed towards the late 80s too, and I blame a lot of it, personally, on the, you know this major crossover between metal and, and, and the hardcore music, it mixed a lot of people together, and I think that kind of was the downfall of the scene. Yeah, in a way it helped
1: though, I don't really think the crossover is what killed it, because, the idea of that, there was some friction, but really, you know, hardcore and punk and metal, the philosophies might be a little different, but it's really based all on cool people getting together that to love music. What I think put the, the rough edge on it was gangster rap. It made kids come in wanted to prove something, and then they took that hatred between metal and punk and mixed in the attitude of, like, you know, I'm a killer, and people are getting hurt. I think that's kind of what put the real ugliness to it, because before that, there was a couple of fights here and there. After a while, it became stabbing and shooting. That's when it got ugly, you know? Unnecessary is what happened. It got unnecessary.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? <laughs> it still happens today in some shows.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know.
0: You can't get away from that. Nothing ruined
1: the show like seeing a kid get stabbed in the chest right in front of you. That hasn't happened in a long time. But I tell you, in the late 80s and early 90s, I saw that a few times. And it's yeah. the worst thing in the world. Now, you're, trying to, you're trying to do your thing in front of all these people and celebrate life and enjoy some guy gets the at me, bumps into a guy, next thing, you all the guys bleeding on the ground, taking away the able. It's the worst thing in the world.
0: It's crazy shit. It really, it really is. I mean, you can't figure really. it out sometimes.
5: And yeah, you know what? I can't you figure
0: gotta, it out. I got to tell you, the last act of the fine, this has got to be the band's most solid record. I mean, it is tremendous. I thought based on a true story, was like taking you guys to a new level, and this one's just gone above and beyond that one.
1: Thank you very much, man. I'm pretty happy with the way it came out. really happy, actually. You know, we were, we, were a little, we were a little less organized on this record than we were on uh, some of the other records where we rehearsed more, the songs were more, like, locked into how they were going to be. On this one, there was still a lot of loose ends when we, were, uh, we went into the studio and not everything was completely decided. It was pretty pretty up in the air still, you know? We were, like, less organized than we normally are. And I think the fact that there it, it was some room to breathe and some spontaneity in the studio, I think we operate best like that without being a less rigid, you know?
0: I agree. I mean, you know, like I was saying, based on a true story, it was such a great record. And when I look at that and I go back to, like, you know, yours truly and yeah. the last, I'm like, you see the involvement of the band over the years and how it's changed, you know what I mean? You still hold on to that classic sound. Those roots are still there. But you guys experiment, and you're not afraid to mix different things in. It's a whole, It's just It's just like a whole new level right now.
1: Yeah, but you remember the old, thank you very much, you remember the old days there were oi bands, there were punk bands, there were metal bands, there were hardcore bands. Some bands were all sing-along and slow. Other bands were thrash. There's all these different styles within the, the hardcore punk scene. I use the term hardcore punk because that's what it is. It's yeah. punk with rock and a little metal mixed in and a whole lot of attitude. And it's, that, it's, that, it's, that, it's, that, it's that soup where everything gets pushed together that makes you, have, make, makes, makes you have the kind of New York style. And also, like with us, we like all these different types of music within the sh- same genre. So it shows one song will sound like an English voice song, another song will be like real thrashy. Another song will be, you know, a uh, uh, straight up Murphy Ross album. You know, the the styles mix up, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I mean, you know, like we said early on back in the eighties, I mean it was basically CBGBs, and then you had A B C No Rio and you know, had the Pyramid and it was a few like, you know, places that just popped up we went to go play at when did you realize, like, when you first started going out of there and moving on to different places and saying, you know, there's a whole world out there, I, th- this isn't what I expected?
1: Uh, you know, it was kind of weird. When I first went to Europe, I was playing with a Front and I played, like, a, a circus tent somewhere in Germany. And I was like, wow, this is weird. It's totally different. I'm, like, playing in a circus tent. And the first European tour I did with AF was pretty ugly. A lot of bad stuff happened. You know what I mean? Like, really, whoa. We got arrested. We spent time in jail over there. It was, like, rough. I didn't realize how good it was. And then uh, when I started playing, coming back, I was sick of it all. The energy and the feeling the crowd gave us was so good. And I was just completely thrilled with the fact that these people in foreign places, like foreign countries, like, they love, like, the New York Sound and the whole thing that we all grew up with doing and, like, you know, being a part of we were, I mean, let's face facts. We were obsessed with it every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, you play, you play, you played in the hardcore band back then. You know, we were all obsessed. We gathered on Sunday and all week we were chomping at the bit with our new ideas and the band we wanted to see, and we were gonna mosh it up and sing along. You know the deal. You know, six days to it was six days away for that seventh day. You know, that's
5: right.
1: And that's the way that's, that's the way it went down. You know, but to see all these people all over the world thinking of it as like a, a special thing is crazy because it's like somehow even though they were across an ocean, they got it.
0: It's true, I mean, it's like you said You couldn't wait for that Sunday to come around I remember waiting for Thursday night at midnight For them to drop off the Village Voice in one of the news boxes So I could pick it out And see who was playing that that weekend at C B G B. You know, it was like you, you couldn't wait for it It was an amazing thing back there But we weren't just hardcore It was New York hardcore And that was, you know, above and beyond to me Anything else out there? Because you had the scenes in Boston, Jersey had a little scene going, you know, Washington and, and Detroit, but there was nothing like New York. I mean, we were like uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. What we were doing. I like it a lot. I like I like your way
1: of thinking, my friend. I'm back but, in but
0: it. Yeah, but it's the truth. I mean, it is. I don't it is. Any other scene like we had?
1: It is. It's true. I mean, New York hardcore. You know, in the '80s is any time, but especially in the '80s, man, it was a really special thing. It was. And obviously people are from New York. People are from New York hate on it. They look like, oh, you guys were violent. You were skinheads. You were this. they say all the stuff. But in reality, it was just a group of guys that were friends making music and having a good time. Yeah, stuff Absolutely. talked off. You're in New York City in the eighties before it got all gentrified. Yeah, people are gonna get their teeth knocked out from time to time. But that's just, you know, whatever, you know. if you want that it can happen too. You know what I'm saying? But it's yep. not what it's about. You understand what I mean? I know.
0: You know, I was talking with uh I was talking with Vinny Stigma a while ago and uh I was saying like, you know, I go by the Lower East Side now and it's like unrecognizable. I'm like, I don't remember like did I play here it was I like, I don't even recognize it anymore. It's just unbelievable how it's changed over the last twenty five years.
1: Vinny's, Vinny's the guy to talk to about the whole gentrification thing. I mean Vinny's born and bred Little Italy. You know, you know the deal. He knows
0: what's up. That's his town, I know. It's 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 amazing, but you know, Craig. When you like, i was saying, you know, you watch all these bands you've played with over the years and back then, like kind of fall by the wayside or just you know get pushed out or give up on it. And you guys tell it was almost like the last man standing. Sometimes was it hard? Did you say to yourself like, you know, we're on the endangered species list because everything is falling around behind us, or did you just keep plugging ahead because you figured eventually it would come around again? And like today, it, it kind of has.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you're on the endangered species list. I mean, the first day you went to a show, you knew you were, on. You know, you knew you would. And you weren't like uh, the golden boy, that's for sure.
5: Yeah, you
1: know what I mean. Like, there's no two ways about it. You're from New York. Everybody wants to get you, except for the people who want to be your friends. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no middle ground. Oh, he's from New York. Yeah, either they hate you or they love you. You know what I mean? Well, uh, yeah, I guess. Like, we always have kind of had that underdog mentality. Like, everyone's out to get us, and we got to prove ourselves. You like, being a New York hardcore guy, you know the deal, bro. It's just like that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Now nowadays now nowadays things are a lot more opened up. People don't really look at New York in the same manner. It's more like, oh yeah, it's classic stuff. Oh yeah, they were part of CBGB. CBGB's hardcore. And people either think it's stupid or it's or it's nostalgic and cool. <laughs> but still the way we look at it is the fight now is like, Yeah, we're part of we came from a classic uh scene. But we're still relevant today because we're still out there giving real effort and, and energy and saying something. And you know, we're still coming with that that style of playing that people might think is outdated or whatever that you want to call. It. But it's, it's straight up real. New York Holocaust real. There's no two ways about it.
0: That's that's the whole point of it. That's why I wanted to get involved in levels years ago because there was nothing like anything else going on out there. And like, yeah. I, I look back now, and I'm like, I remember with heavy metal when it started changing in the mid '80s. You know, it started separating, There was the hair metal. There was people only went to thrash speed, and that of kind of creeping into the hardcore scene in a way too. Where you had the straight edge kids, the oi ones. You had you know the Harry Christians. Everybody was kind of like you know separating for a little while over there too.
1: Yeah, I mean you know you're you sound like a hardcore purist. <laughs> I, I, I get I get what you're saying. You only you remember the eighties cool, the Most people I talk to don't remember the eighties. So I thought you. And you're talking about some stuff in the early days. I I remember all of that. You know. Yeah. I don't remember yeah.
0: yesterday, but I remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good saying. You should put that on a T-shirt. Or something. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember yesterday, but I remember '83.
0: Well, I, I got to tell you one thing. Urban Plaza about a week ago walked in the doors. Unbelievable.
3: So it was good. Thought so it was a pretty good show.
0: I couldn't believe. It. I was like, man, these guys still got it, man. Dude, look at the people here. <laughs> it, just, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. First time. I was floor, trying. So,
1: yeah. I had some problems with my, my base just giving me a little difficulty. She wasn't you know I hadn't taken Red out for a run in a while and she was uh you know, she was humping and puffing a little but it happened, you know?
0: I'm sure it's not the first time it won't be the last. That's that's the pleasure of playing live, you know? Yeah, yeah, nothing
2: like you know, she had a little cough going on, that's all. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, I mean, it's been about 10 years now, almost 10 years, I think, that you've been with Century Media. You know, you remember how okay. like, we did everything by ourselves back then. I mean, it didn't matter what it was. How important is it today to have, like, that label behind you and supporting you? Because, you know, the industry kind of fell by the wayside years ago, and bands are going back to kind of doing it on their own today like they used to back in the 80s. Yeah, it's a
1: strange thing to have and flow of that whole thing. All right, so we started out doing our own thing. And then we did that, uh, you know, the the, the record on relativity, which was independent, but it got a lot of movement. And we went to that major label. Everyone's like, oh, because back then, if you signed to a major, they told you what to do. But we were like, hey, you want to put out our record? Yeah, well, advertise and distribute. We're like, that's all we need. Oh, what about this? No, we don't want anything else. Just advertise the record that it's available and get it all over the world. We'll do the rest. So we just did our thing. And, you know, after two albums, they didn't want to keep going with us. Oh, actually, they kind of did, but we looked like, no, oh, we're good, we're good, because all we wanted to do was be able to, like, you know, to get around the world and have the opportunity to open it up enough. So we kind of used that just to open up the world, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's all That's
1: all it really was. And had that label, you know, wanted to keep going with us, and it had been a good situation, it wasn't bad, but we would have kept going had it been right. So what we did then was we went to, with Mike, Pat Records, you know, Mike No effect. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I tell you what,
1: I'll tell you what, fairest guy in the world, most honorable businessman, a real friend, real I uh, the guy's got a real ethic when it comes to punk and hardcore music and how it's supposed to be. The guy the guy walks the walk and talks the talk. That guy's a great guy. So we did a bunch of albums with him and it was weird. The crowd was doing things like, Oh, you know, they're on fat. Like as if it makes a difference who puts out your records because he's punk and we're hardcore. It's like it was the dumbest thing in the world. They don't realize that Mike was my friend from like 1985. And I used to yeah. pick him up out of a... He would be face down in a mud pile when I'd be in Texas or whatever and I'd see him and I'd fucking help the guy out, give him a glass of water and try to straighten him out so he didn't drown in the mud. People think different than this type of hardcore. Back in those days, it was all the same. You know the deal. It was all the same shit. That's right. And then the thing is, the thing that I realized how the world had changed for a while there was, as great as Mike was and as fair as he was, our, our, uh in Europe our... Uh, Our presence as a band was getting smaller. People weren't remembering us as like a a household name in hardcore. And I think that's because the advertising is very (laughs) do-it-yourself. So what we did was, we said, well, as great as Fat Records is, you know, we're diminishing because nobody knows about us. Because we had a lot of kids that were into heavy metal and crossover that got into us from Scratch the Surface came came out, built a last, and they fell off the radar because we didn't have enough We didn't have ads in magazines and stuff like that anymore. So we decided to check out Century Media and really all we're concerned with, the main concern we have is a presence in Europe, advertising in Europe. If we have advertising in Europe, America, we can do ourselves things like me talking to you and just a little bit of knowledge that it's out. Europe is where you need to get it across the board so people know it's out. If you can get advertising in Europe, the rest just falls into place. That's what it is like now. The same way back in the 80s, uh, uh, You know, New York presence was enough to, to take care of the whole country. Now, European presence sort of built it for the rest of the world.
0: Uh, you're right about that. You know, you were talking about, yeah, like, like Built the Last. If you talk to any, like, Hawker fan, whether they're casual or long time, they always kind of go back to Built the Last as the band's, like, you know, record. And I look at the whole catalog, yeah. and I'm like, that's, yeah, that was like maybe the, the start-off point. It really was like the, the fourth record for the guys at that time. But that's when it stayed yeah. on a lot of people's mind. But there were so many great albums that came out after that. And I sometimes I think they kind of got lost because of everything that was going on in, in the scene in general. But you guys, and labels, too. People, people,
1: people cared about labels. Well, think about old hardcore don't fucking label me. Yeah, I don't care about your label. It was all about no labels, and now it's like, oh, they're on this label. It's almost funny (laughs) the way that that turned out to be. It's like almost like the opposite of an old hardcore slogan, you know what I mean? Like, who cares about the label? (laughs) It's (laughs) It's just strange.
0: It's even worse now with the internet, you know, and all the social media shit because everybody's uh, a warrior on that keyboard these days.
1: Yeah, you know, I see things people say like, Oh yeah, they did those records on Fat Records. I didn't like those. You ever listen to Call to Arms? That's a pure raw hardcore record. That record is like fast. It sounds like AOD or something. It's just like crazy fast early hardcore. You know, and people look like, oh, I didn't like that record. You never listened to it. If you like hardcore, cause that record is like the most stripped out hardcore record. And then people say, oh, I didn't like it. It was on. It was on that label. That label. Who gives a shit what label it's on?
0: So if you guys would have signed to Warner Brothers Records or Joe Schmo's Garage and. Yeah, Chicago, that affects the way you're playing. That's the way people think, and it's the most moronic thing you can even think of or imagine.
1: Yeah, it's really stupid. But, you know, in, in, the, in the world that came after the 80s, you know, when the media was like a big deal and people started like getting brainwashed on the TV, now it's a big difference. Now people don't know what's going on in the world by going down the block and talking to their friend. They know what, like, the, the big TV media tells them, which is all bullshit anyway they're telling you all this bullshit about wars and this happened and that happened. All it is, is to try to make you think in a certain, it's like George Orwell, 1984 book. It's like, yeah, we want to condition you to think like this. You don't have to go out and see it. You just got to watch this little glass screen. They'll tell you what to think. It's opposite of hardcore. It's retarded. Hardcore is about think for yourself, get out and experience. Don't say, you know, don't find out by being told, find out by doing it. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
1: Craig, I'm not going to keep
0: it much longer, man, because the people today they got about a 10 minute attention span. If you go more than that, yeah,
1: yeah, you're going me on, to be right? talking to an old hardcore friend from Staten Island that could get ugly real quick. We can start screaming at the, you
0: know. I'm, I'm from Staten Island these days, man, but I'm still Brooklyn through and through. I was born and bred there. Yeah,
1: one <laughs> and the same, really, you know.
0: Absolutely. So, what do you guys got going on for the rest of the year?
1: Uh. Well, uh, we, in November, we're doing a U.S. tour. We're going out for about three weeks across America. We're not hitting the West Coast, but we're going down to Texas and places like that. And uh, we got that. And then uh, in January, we do the Persistence Tour in Europe. And in 2015, we're going to be really busy. You know, we recorded this last record in Staten Island.
0: I know. Uh, I know the studios out here, right?
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I used to be Stephen a golf house. How crazy is That's that? It. That's
0: right. That's more off the water over there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a nice place. The guy that owns the studio, he's a real gentleman. Very nice place.
0: Yeah, a lot of people I know record there. They say it's a beautiful place over there. I got to check it out sometime. Yeah, it's
1: good, good food, too. You, get, you, go, you go to the ravioli shop, forget about it.
0: I'm only allowed out on garbage nights to put the cans to the curb. Other than that, you know, I can't go nowhere. So
1: I have to make a trip <laughs> over there sometime.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I got that. That funny. But Craig, man, the best of luck with the new record. The next time you guys are in, in the area, you let me know.
1: We'll get the Yeah, together. next time we're in the area, come say hello, man. We'll chill wow.
0: out. I absolutely will, buddy. You take care of yourself now. All right, bro. Thank you. All right, Craig Sotari from Sick of It All, great guy. And it's always good to reminisce about the old days of the New York City hardcore scene. But we're not gonna waste any time because the man himself, Mr. Carl Kennedy, is waiting to get on the air. Carl, how are you, my friend?
4: I'm doing great, Mike. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic. I'm going to be doing even better in March because you guys are finally making your return to New York City at the Defenders of All Festival.
4: I'm looking forward to that. It's been a long time, and I've been hearing from friends and fans that they're coming out to the show, so that's that's exciting news for us. Uh, it's,
0: it's going to be fantastic. It really has been a long time. Uh, Ten, fifteen years since you guys have been down this way.
4: It's been forever, it seems. We're all. It was a question posed to us, and we're all racking our brains trying to remember when was the last time we played and it's been forever and for me i haven't seen the guys in exciter in ages so i'm filled i love all those guys so i'm excited i mean i can't wait to see those guys and have a little reunion
0: oh it's gonna be great we had dan on the show last week and we were talking and i was saying what is it going to take to get you and call up on the stage and do a thrasher
4: song and he says oh you got to talk to crowd <laughs> <That's
2: laughs> that crazy. would
0: be a great encore <laughs> to
4: close out the show he sings his ass off, man.
0: I can't wait to see him. It's gonna be fantastic. You know, I was lucky enough to catch you guys about two years ago when you played out in New Jersey with Anvil and Twisted Sister at the mm-hmm. at the, the benefit show over there, and it was that so was great a, to see you guys a, live again.
4: That was a fun show. It's incredible,
0: it really was. And I'm watching you guys and like, God, man. I says, I don't even have the energy to stand up. To I don't know how these guys are doing it. You bring it on like a <laughs> <your> 20-year-old still. <laughs>
4: You know, they're just having a great time. I don't know. It's uh, we're, we're lucky that we're all healthy and into it, you know. Still having a blast. Yeah, that's good news. Well, it's been a couple of years since Vengeance came out,
0: and I know you're working on a solo record. Uh, is that going to be out anytime soon?
4: Actually, it will be out, I believe, on, I think, the advanced, there's going to be an advance um, orders for iTunes. I think it will be out the 23rd on iTunes, and, Shortly after that, on physical CD, so I'm excited. Awesome. It's done. Get that real soon. It, yeah, it's done, and I'm excited. I mean, finally, it's been a been a bit of a journey getting here. You know, some some special guests on the album, and you know, people aren't right next to each other, and you know, it took took some time to get it done. But uh, but I'm really happy with it.
0: Who do you have playing with you on the record? Are you are you doing anything more than drumming? Are you also singing? Or you have different people coming in?
4: You know, I didn't do. Anything. I think I I added two demos that were, when I demo my material, I write my songs, I write them basically with a drum machine, a guitar, and I'll put all my guitar parts on. I'll play my guitar parts, I'll play the bass parts, and then I'll sing them. So when I get my lyrics done, my melodies, and I'll I'll, I'll sing and play everything on my demos. I call them my 30-minute demos because really I just hack them out as fast as I can just to get the idea down yeah. like a scratch pad. So I put two of those songs that are on the album. I put my two demo versions actually at the end as bonus tracks, so people could see that I played everything and that you know my arrangements and whatever. Because I, I'm not sure that sometimes I've had musicians go, "Geez, I didn't know you played all those things and you had all those, you know, you wrote the hooks and the lines and I, I didn't know you did all that." So I thought it'd be fun for you know the hardcore fans to see what you know your actual original version of what the song wound up as. But I didn't sing. Jocamo sings uh, from uh, Overkill, Lee's Lord, great, great tracks. Yeah. Mark Mark Tornillo sings three tracks, just killed it on my album. I mean, I, he's such a great guy. He's such a hard worker, and uh, you know, the guy's just just so talented. I think people will be surprised when they hear one of the songs. That, you know, he's just got a great voice, but uh, he did a great job. I can't thank him enough. It was fun working with him again because it's been years, and. Uh, who else is in the album? Uh, Chris Caffrey plays a couple songs from TSO, oh, Sabotage. Nice. Yeah, Time. Um, uh, you know, so number of singers on the album, but really I'm trying to think, three, four, what else is singing on the album? I think that's it. I think those three guys cover it all. So
0: Hey, that, you, got, you got three top guys over there, so you really can't complain about that.
4: No, no, I'm really happy. did a great... They did, yeah. You know, I'm I'm grateful to everybody who, you know, lent the talent to uh, to my album. You know, very humble and appreciative.
3: Yeah,
0: and people forget that, you know, that weren't around or uh, maybe born back then, but back in the 80s, you were like the main guy over at Megaforce producing, you know, Anthrax and Excited and TT Quick and a lot of other bands, you know, that we... There's right. too many even mentioned right now, but you were involved with all of those bands back in the day, and a lot of those key records that really, you know, helped to find the scene.
4: Yeah, it's true. I mean, it was a pretty amazing time, and uh, Johnny and Marsha were, uh, you know, discovering some major talent. I mean, when you think about Johnny and Marsha, like I did, I worked with Overkill, but, I mean, think of the other bands. There's so many bands that they signed, including Metallica. I mean, they, they're just single-handedly responsible for, you know, kind of changing the the landscape of the music scene at the time.
0: Absolutely. Without a doubt. And, you know, well, we, we talked with Dan last week and I, I was telling him when we had Johnny Z in the show a while ago, how he really wasn't happy about the violence of force wrecking. And he's like, I know, I don't know what we could have done to make him happy with that. Was that was that like a funny experience back then? When you put all that time into an album?
4: <laughs> it was, I mean, back then, you know, and this is, I mean, this is how it was done and, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight and, you know, be critical of things because we're all, you know, it's a different day and age, but, Back then, we were really given literally no time as a rule. I mean, with Anthrax, we had some pre-production time when we got to the, uh, you know, the third project, armed and dangerous and and spreading the disease. Prior to that, we had some actual pre-production time. But before that, we really didn't show up at the studio. We kind of worked things out, and then we go for it. So uh, it was very quick. With Exciter... You know, I thought the songs were great. Johnny did not seem to at the time. And and I always we would laugh about this story because it's just so funny. And my friends and I still say the same thing. We do zibow, zibao. Johnny's lying on the floor in front of the console and Dan's singing. And Dad just, you know, he's just a balls-out singer. The guy is hardcore. Yeah. And Johnny's listening to him. And, <laughs> and the, the machine stops, Dan's done, and I hear from beneath the board, Ziba, Ziba, cow, cow what 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 what's that? What's he singing? I don't understand the word. Ziba, Ziba, what's that? Ziba, Ziba. So, you know, I just pee in myself at that point. We were dying, I'm like, Johnny, what the hell are you talking about? You know? Ziba, I don't get it, I don't get it. So, you know, Johnny wanted to Johnny was really focused on making sure Dan enunciated everything and you know, I mean, certainly from that standpoint, nothing nothing wrong with that, but you know, Dan wanted to sing it the way he felt it and express himself, and Johnny was looking to have a little more clarity, and, uh, you know, so there was a little bit of a, it wasn't really a rub, it was just Johnny kind of expressed it, you know, he'd like to hear it in a slightly different way, but, but uh, yeah. you know, that was how it went. That's well, you know,
0: you've been on both sides of it too. I mean, you've been the artist and you've been the person recording the artist. And how how difficult is it when you have like these outside forces like telling you how to sing your songs or how to perform? And it's got to be hard, whether on both that because as an artist, you must feel for the guy saying, "I understand what he's trying to do," but I'm also behind the you know behind the council right now. But there are times when you're actually recording, and you probably have the same thing happening to you.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely is, and. I mean I've been there and I've seen it you know we we actually had an A&R person who told us that um, if we didn't record the two songs he wanted us to record that you know he threatened the engineer producer who was co-producing you'll never work in this business again. I mean that's the kind of pressure you you had you know they wanted a single they wanted us to cover other people's material and um, you know so as an artist you get that kind of pressure it's not fun. Um but as a producer, you're in the middle because you need to make everybody happy, and a lot of times the compromise just isn't what it's about for an artist. You know, compromises is, is watering down what you want to do. You know, it's that's not that wasn't my vision. You know, my vision wasn't to compromise. I wrote this. I I to I hear it a certain way. I want to express it a certain way. So anything less than that, as an artist, becomes watered down you feel like you're selling out you're not happy like what What do you have to say about my music so as a producer, as an artist you definitely feel that way as a producer you're like well i see both sides how do we find a middle ground that everybody's happy with it's it's pretty impossible but you do your best and you know sometimes you get lucky and and get everybody please everybody but it's a tough tough line and especially being a producer and an artist i definitely understand both sides so Yeah. Well,
0: I know one time when you and I spoke once before, you were talking about Anthrax's studio during the first record and that's when a lot of stuff came up with Neil Turbin and, you know, for the next time, Joey Belladonna came in. Uh, you know, Scotty just wrote a book uh, recently where he really tears Neil Turbin yes. apart being like a prima donna and a crybaby. And I've known Neil for years, and he's a sweetheart of a guy, but that's not the Neil Turbin of 1984 that I know. You know, And I have no idea what he was like back then. But today, he's a sweetheart of a guy. Was it that difficult with him in the studio where everything Scott says is kind of true, where he wanted Dan out of the band, he wanted to control the band, or because it, it was so early on in the career?
4: <sighs> you know, I love... I. I... I think that Neil is great. I loved working with Neil. I love Neil today as much as I love him then. I think back then when they were, and I, and I look back at it because everybody's got their, we all look at that period of time from our own perspective. So it's not always, doesn't always line up. I had a lot of respect for those guys. And, and I had a lot of respect for who they were as people in terms of they had a vision. They knew what they wanted. They weren't going to do let anything stand in their way. This is where we're going, like a like a tank, you know, just a yeah. they were going for it and they were running everything and anyone over to get there. And I really admire that because having worked with bands, that's what it takes, you know. You, you kind of see it after a while. And they definitely had that. But there was no doubt that you had Dan Wilker in the band originally. And, you know, I was struggling with all of these egos. I was struggling with a band who really was not a cohesive unit trying to get them to play, understand how to play tight together. The fact that Scott was such a wicked, fantastic rhythm player, but Danny really wasn't. Danny was not at the same level, yet Danny was the soloist, you know? So it was really hard to kind of work those out without, you know, making people feel bad, and it's it's a tough line. But Neil, you know, Neil was there. They had a lot of guys, like Charlie's a songwriter. So you've got guys who are writing songs who are really talented and have a vision and you have a lead singer who's the person who you're trying to get to express those things but your lead singer also writes and your lead singer has his own vision. I I mean in any situation that's a cluster, you know, that's just it's going yeah. to be tough. And that's and that's where it was, you know, you had a lot of I mean you can see it Dan Luka left and became successful on his own he had his own vision and he and Scott did uh, SOD and that was very successful. So, you know, as you look at this stuff, I mean, it was basically super talented people, highly motivated people, and all strong ideas, and all of them really good ideas. So, you know, it was tough as far as whether Neil was a baby or, you know, I mean, it's, you know, those guys lived with him. I didn't live with him. So, but I know yeah. he just, I just love him and I think he's super talented and, you know,
0: well, you got to be part producer, part dead mother when you're dealing with stuff like that.
4: I'm sorry? Part producer, yeah. So you
0: got to be like part, part, part producer, part producer, part dead mother, part psychologist, a little bit of everything you have to mm-hmm. do. Exactly. Amazing. Well, you know, Carl, I mean, like we were saying before, Avengers came out a couple of years ago. It was such a great record. I'm hoping that, you know, the Rods get another album out soon. But do you feel there's any one album over your career, you know, with the Rods that kind of defines, like, the band? Like, this is the sound of style of who we are. Because I remember, you know, Let the me Meat Metal was a big record. A lot of people love that album. A lot of people go back to Wild Dogs and they say that's like the quintessential Rod record. And it, to me, I loved heavier than that. I don't know if that was ever meant to be a Rodge record, because Gary was out of the band. You know, uh, Sammy was in. Uh, Craig, I think, was on bass for that album.
4: Yes, and you, well, I mean, again, that's interesting because Gary was on tour with Savoy Brown, and so Gary was out. Gary was on the road. It was, you know, we felt it was time to do a record. I had been working with Craig and Sammy and Dave, when rock heard Schmulik sing, he was just like, Sammy's like the guy. So we want, I want him to sing these songs. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's kind of how it came about. Craig was our original bass player before Gary. So, you know, Craig had been, been one of the, you know, after Steve Starmer, Craig was the original bass player in the band. of the, So before Gary Borden now, so, You know, it was a logical fit I mean, Craig and I play really well together And I agree, I I love that album Although, it's certainly not a typical Rod's album You know, from So, I mean, I I love that album too, myself I I think it's a great album And I think it was kind of Flew under the radar because of uh, Passport at the time going under So our record label at the time was folding just as that was coming out So it was definitely uh, Unfortunate timing but, you know, In the Raw was an album that we did. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but we went in. Those were songs that we had demoed, and we just had been writing them, and we had been rehearsing them. And we went in the studio, and we in 48 hours, you can see it on the cover because our genius manager came in and took a picture of us after we'd been up for <laughs> literally two days. Hey, let's just snap a close-up picture of you guys. And at the end, I think they put a red filter over because we're just, you know, dark circles on their eyes. I mean, we were exhausted. But we went in, and I scrounged two drum kits, found them in closets, and were built a double kit. And we played it live, and there were just minimal overdubs. And, and so for me, like, as I look back, you know, I love, I love the fact that that was just us live in the studio, no record company. And it was pretty representative, representative of us as a band. But, you know, they're pieces of every album, so it's really hard for me. You know, there are things about every album I like, and there's plenty I you know wish we had more time to spend on those those projects. So,
0: Do you think when you do something quickly like that, when you just, like, you know, put a song together and get it out there, sometimes it's better than when you have too much time, to like, you know, go all over it and you start tinkering with it and making a lot of changes on the tune?
4: I, I agree. I mean, I, I still now try to do that. With you know, when I produce, I still produce, and I, I try to do pre-production and then try to capture an energy. That the, if the band has that organic energy, I try to capture that because that's what it's about. And, and and you know, anymore, everything is so beat beat doctored, beat detective, and everything is triggered, and you know, everything is just cut up, and it's hard to tell. Like you know, somebody said one in it was a modern drummer interview, and I can't remember the one of the The interviewer asks the drummer, you know, do you think that so-and-so is a good drummer? And he goes, I can't tell who's a good drummer anymore because, you know, everything is so cut up and beat doctored and whatever, and it's so true. So it's nice to go for the feel. And I think if you put musicians who have a chemistry in a room and let them play live and the band has been rehearsed and the band's on their game, I agree. You're going to get – there's going to be something that comes out of that chemistry. You're going to capture it. And it's going to be far better than if you labor over a pretty sterile kind of track oh we got a good drum check let's add the bass track and you know i've been guilty of that myself many times trying to make a more sonically pleasing record or a cleaner sounding record and tighter but ultimately at the end of the day it really comes down to if you can get a band of guys who play well together and put them in a room and capture that it's going to have some magic that you're not going to get when you overproduce something
0: that's so true I mean you know, when you look at it, I mean the three of you I mean you rock and Gary I mean for the better part of 35 years you've been playing together you know in, and as the rods. so there has to be something there I mean you hear about a lot of bands that they don't even talk to each other they don't get along they just go play no, they go out and tour they do their shows it's strictly a business for them is it possible to be yes. in a band and not have any kind of camaraderie or friendship with the guys you play with that you can't just make it like a business where you know you check in at 8 o'clock do your 90 minute set and leave
4: you know I mean, I think we're lucky in the Rods that that we get along well. We've never had any drug or alcohol issues that have caused problems in the band. I mean, that's a burnout situation for any band. Um, You know, I think, so we've been been lucky in that. But I have heard the stories. I've seen the bands who just show up and they they basically punch a clock. And yet, because initially when they started out playing well together before – Everybody was involved before managers and accountants and record labels and so on and promoters. They played because there was some reason they liked playing with each other. They gelled as musicians in, in that that group. Um, so they can still seem to get on stage and, you know, it sounds great. And they walk off stage, they really don't want to have any, social interaction so I do think it's possible because when you're on stage you're communicating musically when you're off stage you're talking about people's personality traits that you know you're getting a little tired of or maybe something happened and you're pissed at them about whatever happened you know in a business transaction or whatever's going on but on stage it's the music and that takes over so you know but I don't think I certainly wouldn't I don't think I would be very happy in a situation like that because just it's emotionally difficult I was, you know, Dave Lombardo, I mean, talking about Dave, I mean, there's a case of it seems like the money kind of got past the, uh, you know, the musicians. I mean, they were playing well and Dave's out and, you know, such a great drummer and what a loss, you know, for a band.
0: Yeah, it is. And stuff like that happens. But, you know, you hear about it more often than not. You know, a lot of times, when you know, if you're talking with a lot of bands, I'll hear more that it's like, you know, management, record labels, and, you know, some of those outside forces are kind of like, you know, wear the band down and break them up more than like, you know, personal problems between two members of the band. It just seems like it's everything on the outside that they just can't handle. And right. that kind of tears the band apart.
4: Absolutely. And there's no doubt that that the outside forces love the divide and conquer, you know, they can control one person, get, manipulate somebody. I mean, it's just, it's so typical, but bottom line is the music business is a pretty dirty business, a pretty rough business. And, uh, you know, a lot of the outside players, are always there to help you. Uh, they're there to, to take what they can take from you. And it's not about the art for them. It's, you know, it's about the money and what they can get. And if you're naive, you know, they're going to take you. So.
3: Yeah.
0: We ever, we ever pissed off at rock a gallery, then accidentally on stage, a drumstick slipped out of your hand, hit them in the back of the head by accident.
4: No, but that's a great no. idea. Mike. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. <laughs> Dude, I'm really <laughs> oh, sorry, know. man. I'm really sorry. Yeah, you pissed <laughs> me <laughs> off earlier, and I'm sorry. The stick was slippery there. Wham! Because I know nah. if I was
0: in a band with somebody, and I was mad. And I was behind that drunk cab, like mumbling under my breath, "Yes, yeah, son of a bitch," and I would have been throwing those sticks around. Yeah. You know?
5: <laughs> that's just
4: That's <laughs> just a great <laughs> idea. That's just a great idea. You know that that would work for like the crew. Work for anybody. You know the monitor. <laughs> the monitor people sometimes, you know, the monitor people sometimes can be a little bit difficult. Like they just is an opening act they just don't give a damn, you know, they're like, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so, the, you know, and I keep it really, we're really simple. Like, we've been doing this a long time. We keep it simple, and we respect the crew. But once in a while, you get a monitor person who's just like, yeah, these guys, whatever, you know, they're not the headliners. And you just, it's a good idea, I'm going to remember that, to throw my stick that way. Oops, oops, sorry. There you go, Take it's an attention. accident. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, thanks yeah, for that me, uh, really suggestion.
0: Busy. I, I I know you've been busy with the solo record, but are we going to get a new ride record, you know, anytime soon? Is it going to happen?
4: Well, we are working on new material. We're actually releasing, um, and I think you'll be hearing about that soon because I know that, uh, Chip Regerio is going to be releasing a press release any day now, um, about some product that we have coming out. And, uh, we're also working oh, nice. on new material. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have a new, we have a single, we have a new song we wrote that's hysterical, that's, that's going to be out, and there's bonus tracks on uh, what we're releasing, so we're working on new material, we're actually re-recording uh, some of our early stuff, and, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the Rod's camp at the moment. David has a new solo album, Clash of Armor, that's out, so, a lot of stuff going on, we, you know.
0: I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and I won't say anything about the press release until it's out there, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it. But, call. I'm going to let you go because I'm going to get on a few more songs. We're going to close out today's show. Listen, give Dan Beale a call. Do Burning at the Speed of Light. Close out the Defenders of the Old Festival, something that nobody's probably ever heard live.
4: <laughs> I love that idea. That would idea. be incredible. That would be great to get both bands out there. Do Burning at the Speed of Light. That would be great. Okay. That would be fantastic. I'll toss it that would out
0: be a one-time one only thing.
4: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, great talking
0: All to right. you, Mike. You too, Carl. You take care, and I'll see you in March when you get down to New York.
4: Can't wait. All right.
0: Take care. Mr. Carl Kennedy of the Rods coming back to New York City this March 13th before 14th for the Defenders of the Old Festival. I can't wait for that show to happen. I didn't get a chance to play in the Stick of it All or anything else because uh, we weren't ready to do a call. So let me get on something by the Rods, and uh, then we'll do
4: some Sick of It All right after that. So hang on.
0: Going on in the city And there will be a lot going on in the city The city of Brooklyn On March 13th and 14th At the Defenders of the Old Fest I just want to apologize for all the trouble we have with the show tonight A lot of technical difficulties early on Plus I'm getting very sick I'm getting congested stuff you a sore throat So we're going to do the best we can to get through it like I said earlier, we weren't able to get on anything off the new Sick of It All album, The Last Acts of Defiance, because of, uh, we weren't able to get the recall. So let's get on a song off that record. And I got something brand new for you by a band called Count the Blast. So let me get you on. Uh, let me see what I can dig up from this record.
5: Uh, I us do never back down. Here you go.
0: Song, right? New York City Mayhem, We Stand, another band that uh, Craig played in back in the day. We just didn't have enough time to talk about everything. But three guests on the show, only two hours of doing it and trying to get music on in between the bands. You kind of have to rush through the interviews. That's why I'm not crazy about having three guests on in one week. I like to give them all a little bit of time to talk. But it is what it is. We make the best out of it, right? Well, my old guitar player actually formed Stillborn back in the day with my drummer Dave Baskin, Andy Guida. Uh, he has a studio called 6-3. And uh, he's working with this band called Count the Blast, a really kill up and coming New York City hardcore band. I'm going to get that on for you right now. And please go to the Facebook page, check out Andy. If you have anything recorded in the New York City area, he's amazing behind the, behind the board. So look him up, all right? Here's uh, Counter Blast Break the Chain. <laughs> Thank everybody, for listening and hanging out with us tonight. Like I said, I apologize for all the trouble we had earlier on. the kind of righted the ship towards the end, the very end. And I want to thank my guests, Carl Kennedy, Craig Sattari, and Dave Lombardo. Don't forget this Thursday on the Metal Matinee at 12 o'clock. It's Come Out and Play. It's a warrior-themed Metal Matinee, so it'll be there for 12 p.m. Thursday afternoon. And next Sunday night, we did it again. We got a whole bunch of guests on the show. Kingsley king Sally from October 31st, and Deceased will be on here. Brian Lapp and from Enemy, two bands that will both be performing at the Defenders of the Old Festival this March 13th to 14th at Bro- in Brooklyn at the Bell House, and we just added uh, Brian Thomas and George Neon, my buddies from Halloween. They got a big show coming up, and let's face it, this is their time of year to get a rock and roll. So don't forget to tune in next Sunday night at 6 p.m. and I'll see everybody Thursday for the Metal Matinee. Take care.